My name is Jacob Munson. The podcast is South Texas Stories. The story title is The Blue Ghost and Corpus Christi. The CV-16 U.S. Lexington, also known as the Blue Ghost, was one out of the 14 Essex-class carriers that were produced during World War II and was the flagship of the Fast Carrier Task Force for most of the task force history. The CV-16 Lexington was not the first ship named after the Battle of Lexington. It wasn't even the first aircraft carrier with that name. Her predecessor and namesake, the CV-2 USS Lexington, was the namesake of its own class of carrier. Over the course of the war, the CV-16 Lexington will gain several nicknames most famously as the Blue Ghost, which originated from Japanese propagandist Tokyo Rose. The Lexington was the first of many things. She was the first aircraft carrier to have women aboard as part of the crew in 1980, the first carrier to deploy air-to-surface missiles, and the first carrier to hold the CVT designating it as a U.S. Navy training carrier. The Lexington also was the longest serving carrier whole class with 40 years of service. Naval aviation prior to World War II was in its infancy. The first naval aviation was the seaplanes, which existed in World War I. They could take off and land on water. They were attached normally to seaplane tenders, which some refer to as seaplane carriers, which were sort of a proto-aircraft carrier. The first aircraft carriers came after World War I with the USS Langley in 1920 and successful airplanes launched. However, due to the limitations of her design, she was converted into a seaplane tender before World War II. The next carriers were the CV-2 Lexington and CV-3 Saratoga as the two Lexington-class aircraft carriers. The two Lexington-class carriers were originally designed to be battle cruisers. But due to the Washington Naval Treaty's restriction, they were converted into aircraft carriers and are early pioneers of naval aviation tactics. By the time of the attacks of Pearl Harbor, there were seven aircraft carriers in service, most notably the two Lexington classes and three Lockdown classes. The Lexington namesake, the CV-2 Lexington, had the nickname Lady Lex, which would be inherited by the Blue Ghost, and played a key role in the opening of the Pacific Theater and the defense of Australia and naval operations in the region. The CV-2 Lexington was sunk at the Battle of the Coral Sea, however a new class of U.S. aircraft carriers were underway, that are often considered the best carrier design of the war, the Essex class carrier.
The S6 Classic launched with the Leadship CV9 USS XS, a total of 24 being built with 14 in service during the war, including the CV16 Lexington, CV11 Intrepid, and CV17 Bunker Hill. Since the XX class were built during the war, their designs weren't limited by the Washington Naval Treaty, which allowed for a more capable ship compared to previous classes. The XX class could carry 103 aircraft, but more often carry less. They also had good speed and endurance and a very resilient design as not a single S6-class carrier was lost in combat despite Japan's best attempts. An interesting fun fact is that several of the S6-class carriers are named after carriers that were sunk during the war. The Lexington as the flagship of the Fast Carrier Task Force, also referred to Task Force 38 or 58, depending on if they are attached to the U.S. 3rd or 5th Fleet, were a key player in the Battle of Leyte Gulf and the Liberation of the Philippines and the Battle of the Philippine Sea, where the battle got the nickname the Great Marianas Tokisud. In these battles, the Lexington distinguished herself, and by the end of the war is credited with shooting down 372 enemy aircraft with her planes, and is credited with sinking 300,000 tons of enemy cargo, and was at least reported being sunk multiple times by Tokyo Rose, which is how she got the nickname Blue Ghost. After the war, carriers, due to their carrying capacity, which is often why they're called floating cities, will assist in transporting troops and material home and aid in occupation detail. The Axis class will continue seeing service all the way through Vietnam, with some of them actively taking part in the conflict, such as the Intrepid, who launched jets to provide ground support in Vietnam. The Lexington will provide similar missions, but most notably become the first CVT of the Navy and will train naval aviators how to take off and land on carriers. She was stationed in the Gulf of Mexico, which has several naval air stations, including Naval Air Station Corpus Christi. Due to being a CVT, she was the last of the XX class to be retired and became a museum ship. Part of the process how she ended up in Corpus Christi involves authorizing the city authorizing a bond offer for the Lexington and then completing with other communities and the results being passed in Congress to finalize the deal. Texas Senator Lloyd Benson and Representative Solomon Ortiz were key in getting the bill passed. Afterwards, the Lexington will arrive on January 29, 1992. There was a huge crowd, including the mayor and the Naval Air Station Base Commander, as well as many veterans who served on the set. 
The 20 years anniversary PDF on the Lexington website provides parts of many articles showing the process as well as the history of the museum. It's impressive, I recommend checking it out if you have the time. The Lexington wasn't the only museum carrier, there are a total of five today, four of which are exits class carrier, the Lexington at Corpus Christi, the Intrepid at New York City, the Yorktown at Mount Pleasant, and Hornet at Alameda Point, California. Until the CV-41 Midway became a museum carrier, all U.S. carrier museums were Exix class. The Lexington benefits the community in many ways. Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to interview my high school naval science instructor, retired Senior Chief Mark Tess. He served in the U.S. Navy, and after retirement, he worked on the museum ship USS Lexington before becoming an NJROTC instructor. During the interview, I asked Senior Chief what the Lexington provides to the community, and this is how he responded. What the Lexington provides for the community, uh, definitely the uh, revenue, tourist revenue that it brings in. So helping out lo local businesses, that's being restaurants, hotels, motels, of course, uh, the shopping, uh, that, that that's brought in. So the tourist uh, commerce uh, f point of it, that definitely is something Lexington uh, brings in. Uh, and it's a living history. Um, by that I mean you can, you, you're there, you're walking on a World War II aircraft carrier. So you learn that, that living history going on there, the sacrifice of our, uh, of that generation, the World War II vets, and what they went through and how they lived on board the ship, how they fought the ship, uh, all that. Indeed, in the aforementioned PDF, according to the Color Times, the projected total for the attendance of the first year was 330,000 visitors. The actual numbers for the first year were 471,000 visitors with an income of 3.65 million. The Lexington's 1 millionth visitors was in 1995 and currently on their website has counted over 8 million visitors have visited the Lex. As such, I think it's safe to say the Lexington does bring in tourists to Corpus Christi which benefits the local economy. I can vouch for the exhibits, they are excellent. The Pearl Harbor exhibits give a very detailed overview of the attack on Pearl Harbor with excellent sound quality. There's many attractions in the SIP. You can go on tours seeing different parts of the SIP such as the bridge and the flight deck, which has aircraft, naval guns, and AA guns. The tour teaches a lot of World War II history and naval history and what life on board a ship was like. One of my personal favorite rooms is the small model rooms with models of aircraft and ships. I just really like that room and can easily spend hours just looking at them. I have been to the Lexington many times. The most memorable times were in high school JROTC where we often did community service at the Licks. We sometimes painted or helped clean rooms in restricted areas that might be turned into 
in new exhibits in the future. After finishing community service, we will provide lunch and allow to explore the ship as a guest and go through the tours. The maintenance of the ship is expensive and the community can help out in many ways. During my oral history interview, I asked that question to Senior Chief. And for the community to help out to make sure Lex stays here, just go to the ship. If you're in Corpus, you know, every couple months if you can, you got a, a downtime on a Sunday, they're open seven days a week, go to the Lex, you know, take your kids there or something, support them that way. Uh, they do charity events uh, on board, uh, so go and, and do that from dances to other events. And, uh, yeah, and the biggest one I'd say just visit the Lex from time to time. Um, yeah, I think that sums it up in a nutshell. I definitely have to agree, just visiting the Lex once in a while does help keep the Lex funded and allows for development of new exhibits. The most popular event that I know about is the Haunting of the Blue Ghost, which is a haunted house event during October. They also do look for volunteers for the event. When I did two semesters of Army ROTC, I assisted as a volunteer for the event and other groups that assist. I am pretty sure anyone can volunteer, but you most likely will have to contact the LEX staff first to make sure. The LEX is also interested in models, photos, or uniforms that can be donated to the SEP and plans for new exhibits. This is viewable on the tutorial page. Additionally, the LEX does have positions for volunteers for many jobs, including for the SIP library and even have a few employment listings. The LEX, thanks to the community support, has been fortunate enough to be self-sustaining without requiring government funding. I am Jacob Munson, and that concludes this brief story, Safe Travels.